Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Cathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the world, the premier podcast celebrating Jersey culture and politics and life and food and nostalgia and everything. You know this if you've been listening. We just try to capture all of it. Just what is New Jersey? Let's make it a podcast. Figure it out. I want to thank everybody who has signed up at the Patreon over at patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. I put up a series of audio uh, files, three files. I think they totaled in at over four hours where I personally thanked everybody and assigned them one town name or iconic Jersey thing. And I thought it was going to be very easy, but it wound up being very hard. And the people at the Patreon seemed to really enjoy it, listening to me struggle and lose my mind and get mad about an idea that was mine that no one asked for. Also wanted to say, uh, one of my favorite things about that Patreon is the comment sections on the episodes. We got all the episodes up there and then people get up there, discuss them. Some of them get a bunch of traction, some of them less so, uh, but it's always nice to see them blow up and it's always fun to see comments come in on episodes that have been out for a while. Um, for example, there's one that just came up recently on our feuds episode. I was really thrilled with the feuds episode. Uh, I thought that was a fun topic. I think Jersey people know how to hold a grudge. And one of the guys we talked about was that dude down by the Devil Street, that guy down in uh, Liberty Corner, Liberty, uh, right? That guy, Liberty Corners, or is it Liberty Corner? I forget which one, but it has an S. Liberty Corners? Anyway, Erwin Richard. Talked all about him. He put up signs all over his property. He was a real cantankerous nightmare of a guy in some sense, but a freedom-loving Thomas Jefferson quoting. Dude, remember that story? Well, listen to this. We've got a comment left on the Patreon from Bill. Bill, thank you for leaving this. This one made me so happy. Uh, hearing about Irwin Richard brought back memories. I ran an underground newspaper in high school in the 90s, and somehow Irwin got a copy and dropped off a letter at my house. I wish I still had that letter, as I don't really remember what he wrote, but I know he hinted at working together, and I was a little frightened by that. Anyway, I was shocked to hear his home was turned into a park, so today we visited it. I was so excited to see the sign on the corner is still up. The park's pretty simple, but it has a gravestone for Irwin's dad that calls him a saint, and oddly has stones on top of it, which I thought was a Jewish tradition. I brought along a friend from Jersey who's thinking of moving away, Said of the whole adventure and story of Irwin, you are making me love Jersey again. Maybe I should stay. It's all from the good work. New Jersey is the world. Bill, thanks so much for letting us know about that. Be, putting, being someone who put out an underground newspaper in the 90s, this tells me that you are, are my kind of people. And to have the local town loon drop off a letter at your house, that, that is just, ugh, I can't get enough of that. It's awesome. I want to go ahead and let you know that we have our next Asbury Park show, July 6th. It's going to be a family-friendly show. We're going to educate kids about New Jersey. We're also going to put kids in control. Kids five and under are free. This will be family-friendly. Earlier start time, doors at six, show at seven, and everything's going to be family-friendly, Jersey-themed. Kids are going to have a good time. You know I'm all about saying we need young people to feel empowered and we're going to let them run the show that night. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a special one. So houseofindependence.com, if you want tickets to that, we would love to see you there. Now, speaking of Asbury Park, today we interview Mike Yerrick, who, if you're a fan of the Asbury Park music scene, probably know who Mike Yerrick is. If you're a fan of the New Brunswick music scene, you probably know who Mikey Erg is via not just his solo work, playing with so many bands, very notably, obviously, the Ergs, and Mikey and I talk about so much. We talk about bands from growing up that were Jersey-based who, who, you know, didn't get that national love, who should have. We talk about his new album, Love It Leads, which is like his audiophile nerd dream come true. Get to hear about that, and I'm begging you, support Mikey. Go listen to the album, download it, buy it. He's one of us, you know? We talk about something really interesting, too, which is... Mikey gets a lot of Jersey love in the punk scene, but he hasn't lived here in a while. And it's not like he writes a lot of songs about Jersey. So what is it about Mikey that strikes such a chord amongst Jersey people? Talk about that and a whole lot more. He's a really old friend of mine and a great guy. And I'm just saying sincerely, support our guy. He's one of us, okay? The album's out, I believe, this week. Go find it. Follow Mikey. Stream it. Buy it. He even shouts out the weird audio file streaming service that he prefers. Thanks so much, everybody. Enjoy. 
love that band. I've seen that band live. I'll, I'll say, I mean, we're recording now. We'll edit this part out and it'll be clear when we start. But, uh, <laughs> I was up on Steve Adamick pretty early. And then I still, to this day, I'm like, why weren't Sonic Avenues? A m- that yeah. band was fucking great, man. Those songs were great. That band should have busted yeah. out. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know how it works. I've been trying for 20 years to make it work. Well, let's talk about this. Maybe we'll leave the chit chat in, and it'll be real slice of life audio. You also hear a screaming, a screaming toddler at the bottom of the staircase. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear your old pal Cal, um, but I'm here with a guy who I think, to the fans of the New Jersey is the world podcast, for many people who would listen to my a, a New Jersey comedy podcast run by Chris Gather, our our guest needs no introduction. I mean, this is someone who. There's been long-running jokes of people saying they've never seen us in the same room, which is ludicrous (laughs) because we used to be on a TV show together every week. Um, No less than Marissa of Screaming Females once told me, you uh, you are kind of like the fourth erg. And I was so touched. And I was like, what do you mean? And Marissa said, well, don't think too hard about it. It's mostly because you have glasses and used to live on Hamilton Street. Um, (laughs) But our... You and I have been friends for many years. Our careers have linked and crossed over. Um, you and I have had many, many nerdy discussions about not just punk rock, but ultra-specific Jersey punk rock bands. Mm-hmm. And I think for fans of Jersey punk rock, it's why am I even doing an intro? It's Mikey Erg, everybody. Hello. Welcome <laughs> to New Jersey is the world, Mikey Erg. Hello. What is this new Jersey? Oh, wow. You think it should just be Jersey is the world? <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> I just felt like felt like making a stupid dad joke. If, yeah, if it turns out this whole time that you were really representing the uh, the island off the coast of of England. <laughs> so before we get into the Jersey stuff, because this is a Jersey focused podcast, and I want you and I to be able to to sink our teeth into some conversations about that. Um, I do want to say the reason for this. I mean, any chance I get to catch up with you is one I will take. You and I have had many hilarious conversations we you and i used to talk about weston uh before tapings of the chris gethard show it for some reason it would calm me down to talk with you about westing until my wife <laughs> told uh said to me like in front of everybody was like guys weston's a pretty good pop punk band like they were good you have to shut the fuck up about Weston. <laughs> you and i well, we had talk- we had murph there too that like it was oh. just having new having new blood to talk to us about too. i mean look we <laughs> could talk about kid with manhead all day we could talk oh, yeah. about one nature all day there's a, a lot of bands that you and i both saw growing up but the occasion for <clears> this <throat> it's not just let's randomly have mike Uragon. you do have a new album coming out love it leads this is That's right. i am very very excited to hear it and i will say i've known you so many years and there's a few things I want to point out, which is one, the musicians you have playing on this thing are like a cream of the crop punk rock all-star team. Yeah. And then on top of it, everything that I've heard through the grapevine, everything that I've read about this album and everything I've seen you post, it effectively seems like someone enabled you as like a completist audiophile who loves records (laughs) to do everything one would dream of from that perspective as a musician. Yeah. This is basically, this is my like ultimate, uh, make, make my dreams come true project from, from inception to who got to play on it to how I got it made to how it got pressed. It's all there. There were some bumps along the way because this is the worst time in the history of the world probably to be making a new vinyl LP uh, because it is so popular to be making new vinyl LPs. And we live in a society that all but thought vinyl was completely gone until the last like, you know, five years. Right. So the bullet points of this, right. Are vinyl was dying out. CDs had come along. Digital music had come along. It became cool and collectory, but all the vinyl plants had shut down. And then yeah. record store day comes along. It's massively popular. The major labels get back in on it, and now there's no plans to press vinyl. Yeah, and it's uh, you know record say record store day gets a lot of the blame, but also like I think the thing that's really kind of been screwing things up now is that like since it's cool and collectory to do vinyl, the you know, the really huge are the Taylor Swift's and the Adele's of the world are pressing like 
six million copies of a record at a pressing plant that hasn't done, you know, more than a couple thousand in years. So it's just the capacity and the yeah. demand. And then there's like, there, it, it goes even deeper where like, you know, when you, when you make a record, the first thing you have to do is cut a lacquer of the music, which is a, you know, just like a, it's, it's a lacquer disc. And then they make, the metal work that you press the actual record from, from this lacquer disc. So it all starts at this lacquer disc, the biggest lacquer manufacturing plant in the entire world burnt down like two years ago. Cool. So cool, it's, cool. so it's pretty much, imp- it's almost impossible to get lacquers. There's only one place. I think it's in Japan. It's only play one place in the world. You can get lacquers. Uh, Certain master engineers have been grandfathered into that plant, so they're like they're not having a problem. But like, it's you know, it's 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 hard to get lacquers. It's there's a plastic shortage, a vinyl shortage. I mean, which like means you know, it, apparently like the the vinyl flooring and the vinyl pressing are are fighting over <laughs> the actual remaining the basically. actual vinyl that you can be have records made from. It's so like the face uh, apparently this, the worst. <laughs> in the face of all this adversity and impossibility, love at Leeds is born. Jeff Rosenstock, Alex, uh, Alex uh, from the Get the Show band. That's right. Playing. Lou Hanman. Lou Hanman. Yeah, we basically put together the like the original guys that I was playing with in in uh, in the beginning of of starting the solo band. Uh, at first, we, you know, Lou and Alex were just in New York and they were down to play and we, we played a few shows and it was great. And Jeff produced the first album. So it seemed like this would be, it's also, it was when we were recording, it was exactly five years to the, you know, almost to the month that the out, that the first uh, album tentative decisions came out. So it kind of felt natural for me to let's get that, that iteration of the band back together and do this record. And this one is, of course, produced by Steve Albini, which for fans of independent music, that goes a long way. And that must... Now, how are you? Because I know that you are... uh, You and I share something. You and I, I think one of the things that makes people kind of feel like we are close-knit human beings... I think part of the joke of Gethard and Mike, you've never been seen in the same place. Obviously, (laughs) we're in the same place, but it's not just that we both have glasses and we're Jersey guys. I think we also share a weird wavering thing between like the utmost belief in our art and the desire to do it. And also uh, real feelings of imposter syndrome. And like, why is this <laughs> like, so when you're working with Steve Albini, is that a joy? Is, is it intimidating? How do you, even it, my voice is cracking. Think of it. On his <laughs> it was, I mean, it was certainly intimidating, but um, you know, I know enough about him to know that like, I knew I wasn't going to walk in there and start playing my songs and have his mind be completely blown. And, Oh my God, the God has walked into the studio and, and I can't believe he's letting me uh, put his stuff to take. You know, I was like, I wasn't under any grand illusions that he would be even remotely interested in, in the project. Um, not that he wasn't interested in the project. Cause he, you know, it, but he treats it like a job. It's a job. And I think even when he's working with like, you know, the fucking stooges or whatever, like his heroes, he's, he's, he's basically doing it from a technical standpoint. We would even ask him a couple of things about like, do you think this, uh, what do you think about this guitar tone? Or what do you think about this? And he would just be like, it's your record. You, you know, you, you decide that's not my, that's not my place to say. Um, so, you know, that kind of put me at ease a bit knowing that I, it wasn't going to be like, you know, uh, this crazy, like I, I wasn't trying to impress him because I knew it yes, would be yes. hard, hard to impress him. Uh, but we, yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we, we joked around the whole time, like, Oh, he's going to, he's going to burn his studio down after he hears these stupid pop punk songs. Like <laughs> after we've tainted, we've tainted uh-huh. the studio with this, this pop punk garbage. Um, but yeah, you know, so we kind of just made a joke about it, and and on the way to the studio every day from our Airbnb, we would just like get all of the dumb Steve Albini worship talk out of our systems in the car, so we didn't bring up the Pixies or Nirvana when we when we got right. to the studio. Right. Um, 
but yeah, you know, it was, it, I mean, it really was a blast. And like, I know Lou had, Lou had told me that like, you know, it was, she had rarely been treated with that much respect in a studio. And like, uh, you know, I certainly like whenever I, I was doing vocal takes and he would just, you know, he was hit the talk back button. He said, you're killing it. Let's just move on. You're great. It's fine. It's, you know, it sounds great. Cool. Uh, you know, so shit like that was like very rewarding to me. And, uh, I, it starts to get into some of the stuff that you really care about and that a lot of uh, music people who are smarter than I really care about where I read things like everything was done analog for this record and I'm too dumb to know exactly what that means, but I know that it means a lot to you and probably was a nerdy dream. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like I'd never done a, I'd never done a record fully to tape. Like the, you know, the Ergs stuff was always done with Chris Pierce and he, he recorded to tape, but then we'd always mix to to digital, um, and we'd mix to basically when CDs were made, they were made. I'm gonna get this is this is stupid nerdy and people. No, but this is, <laughs> this is why you're Mike Yerg. This is why you're Mike Yerg. When CDs were were invented, they d- whoever the powers that be decided on a 16 bit 44.1 kilohertz. Uh, sample rate and uh you know just like that's basically the they they determine that the highest uh possible dynamic range or whatever that the human ear can hear is just you can cut it off at 16 bits and 44.1 kilohertz i can't even explain like what that means but it's that's cd quality uh and that is kind of dumbed down from the full like dynamic range that you can get from analog tape. And so, and basically if you're so now, and now we have even more like sophisticated digital stuff that can play uh 24 bit one ninety two K digital files, which is like way, way higher than any human can hear, but it's, but you're getting the full, the full dynamic range of what was on the tape. So, and basically if you press a, a, if you mix to tape and then press to analog, if you, if you do an all analog straight to mastering or straight to vinyl, you're getting like the full dynamic. You're basically getting an exact copy of the tape as opposed to having it like transferred into these like ones and zeros digitally. And you're, even though it's lossless, you're still getting a little loss. Apparently, uh, you're not getting the photocopy. You're getting an you're, original document. Basically. Yeah, you're basically getting an original document, and it's just something I've never done. I've always mixed at most to sixteen forty four CD quality, uh, so I've never mixed to tape, and I've never done. And I'm now I'm fully into these like jazz reissues that I really do. You know, it could be a lot of fucking hocus pocus or whatever, but I really do think they sound incredible. And they've been doing all these Blue Note records and all these uh, uh, impulse titles and stuff where they're just getting you know Chad Smith or Bernie Grunman or uh, Kevin Gray to just cut straight from the tape to the lacquer, and then then you get the record from that. And it it really does sound like you're listening to. Like especially just growing up listening to CDs for so long, it does sound like you're listening to a more full version of the music that I'd been hearing for so long. You know, it sounds to me because um, you and I both we have something else in common, which is that you know we both started doing what we do when we were actual kids. We were teenagers, right? And uh, I'm not gonna, I, I won't ask you to out your age. I just turned 42 last month. Like I'm getting to be an old veteran in the alt comedy scene. Like I am officially an old man. I will be 42 in November. We are, the, we are like, I know. Exactly I wasn't age. sure if you want, if you were uh, a person I'm fine. under wraps now to be in our forties now to hear like, Oh, like you were a kid cranking out music. You've made a lot of great stuff, especially people who listen to this podcast. I am certain there are a lot of people who, you know, I know for me, I had really lost touch with punk rock. I was very, very in tune with punk rock growing up and then started hearing through the grapevine, oh, there's this band, the Ergs, and they're bringing the New Brunswick basement scene 
Uh, not that it ever totally died out, but the dialogue yeah. was kind of like the Ergs have brought it back to a new life. I think. Yeah, it was funny. Like Fid had first told me that Fid, our our, our mutual friend, uh, that like because it didn't it didn't seem like it was that long ago that the the souls and and lifetime and stuff were around, but like Fid, who had been there the whole time, was like, yeah, there were there were definitely at least a couple years where there were nothing was happening. I think in the time I well see, I realized I discovered comedy went all in on that, so I missed the Midtown Thursday. That was you going into the city a lot. That was me going like into the city a lot, which is what I, I was had- doing in in the late nineties, early two thousands. Like I didn't even know about the New Brunswick scene because I was doing kind of the same thing. I wasn't performing at UCB, but I was going to UCB all the time. I was right. going to punk rock shows at Coney Island high, the continental and CBGBs and stuff like that. That's where I was spending all of my time. And even, I feel like one of the early points in the legend of Mikey Erg is you started playing with dirt bike Annie, who was right. a Jersey city band who I yeah. think was kind of viewed as like the Jersey band that would go and keep up with the New York people in that scene, as opposed to more of the new Brunswick stuff, but still very much that Jersey city South house. Yeah. I mean, but they were, so and they cool. were, I consider them because when, when I was getting super into them, them and the Kung Fu monkeys and the hissy fits and egghead and stuff, those were the New York, the low, lower East side, like New York bands. Right. Uh, even when, when Dirt Bag moved to Jersey city, I mean, I just felt like that was, that's just like going to Brooklyn or something, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same, you know? Yes. Uh, so I always considered them a New York band and considered, you know, when I was in that band, we were still a New York band and uh, you know, the New York now, pop punk scene or whatever. I love hearing, hearing you get nerdy about the audio quality, CD quality, the industry <laughs> standards, kind of dumbing it down and hearing that you now get to put out this record and that you get to hold a copy in your hands and to go, we're a couple decades in. We're actually yeah. a couple decades in, and now you're holding a thing that is something that maybe because vinyl had been out of out of uh, yeah fashion. Like now you get to have this thing these many decades in that you go, this is a thing I've always wanted, and I've never been able to have it before. That warms my heart yeah. to hear. And, I hope and everybody, not- I hope everybody goes out and buys it and knows yeah. they're getting the thing that Mikey wants you to have without compromise on this one. Well, and and you know, by the same token, but, you know, kind of, you know, not related to like the audio quality necessarily, but like, you know, when I'm, I'm 13 years old, I get an album called In Utero by Nirvana and the sound of it, the sonics of it was something I'd never heard before. And I couldn't believe how good it sounded. I thought the drums sounded incredible. They were just this airy, roomy, drum sound that I just wasn't used to that I hadn't heard. Um, it just sounded raw. It sounded just in your face. And, you know, and as I, you know, I knew it was this guy, Steve Albini that did it. And then, uh, you know, I've slowly found other things that he had done and they all, they all had the exact same Sonics. And it's, that's just something that, you know, I've never had a record sound exactly the way i wanted it to sound until i did this record because that you i mean that's what you're going to get when you work with steve albini you're going to get that sound that he is known for and that's just it blows my mind i listen to this album more than i should i you know i don't normally like put on my own records but like i put this on as a steve albini fan (laughs) and just listen to it as a steve albini record not as my record well, I hope everybody gets the vinyl. I feel like if people are not uh, want to do so, if they don't own a record player or they don't want to take a room in their house, I hope that they go and they get it on a Bandcamp Friday when it benefits yeah. you the most. And if they must stream it, uh, may, uh, maybe they'll use title, put an, an extra yeah. fraction of a penny in your pocket. But uh, I'll go, way, even, I hope I'll go one step further. Better. If you must stream it, get Kobuz because it's, it's my streaming uh streaming thing of choice okay cope with cobas you can stream in 24-bit 192 only you in the high oh i had to buy i had to buy a whole bunch of stuff for my iphone to make it stream in perfect quality but but i did Well, listen (laughs) i think we've talked about the album we could talk about it all day and it deserves it but this is a jersey themed podcast and we're 20 minutes and i want to make sure we get to some more jersey (laughs) stuff first of all let me say this some people might be sitting here rolling their eyes trying to call bullshit of you going 
I got this Nirvana album when I was 13 and I'd never heard an album that sounded like that. And they might be going, what 13 year old was sitting around even thinking that way about sound should point out if we want to call out Jersey, Jersey cred right away, a fact about you that I think is on public record, but maybe not something that everybody would know. You want to talk Jersey cred. (laughs) You pretty much grew up in a recording studio. And if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong. If I believe, I believe if I remember the story, right, was your dad, produced the demos that would become slippery when wet by john bon jovi that's right yeah they basically i think they they knew it was like their it was their third record they were they needed a they needed to really really work on it so they rented out my dad's studio essentially for like i mean it feels like i think they were there for at least six months it could have been even longer than that and they were there remember you remember them hanging around I do remember I was about six years old, um, but I didn't know who Bon Jovi was. They, they'd only had, they had that hit Runaway, but like that was not in my radar. Like, yeah. Uh, so I didn't know them. My older sister knew who they were from that song. So she was like impressed that they were there, but I was just hanging out and there were these rock and roll dudes. I mean, and they looked, they looked like Bon Jovi, but even then, you know, they had the like, fucking like leather vests and you know uh you know they looked rock and roll and then and they all their instru- all their gear was just in the studio for six months so like you know i was seeing like these marshall stacks and like this eight thousand piece drum kit and yeah my dad would just let me hang out they they didn't mind they were like they were cool with whatever it was like a family vibe it was cool like they were stoked and so you know i just remember hearing them woodshed fucking like you give love a bad name and shit. It was pretty crazy. It's awesome. So for anybody out there, I can vouch. I've known Mikey long enough to say he is the kid who at 13 was like, wow, the quality on Nirvana. This in yeah. the, this record sounds... I'll never forget one of the conversations I had with you where I just burst out laughing was I, I said to you, I remember going, the first music I ever remember owning was the WWF put out a, a, a thing called the Wrestling Album, which had like grab them cakes by junkyard dog for everybody by rowdy piper land of a thousand dances with all the wrestlers getting in a fight at the end and i remember saying that and you saying with a totally straight face because you meant it i'm like yeah i owned that on vinyl when i was yeah. six and i'm like of course i had it on cassette and you were already a vinyl snob when you were six of course. yeah so yeah somewhere it's it's got to be some well it's probably not anywhere anymore but yeah i, I had it pretty late uh but yeah i used to go to pathmark and buy vinyl you yeah, can buy, this you is, can buy vinyl at Path. Pathmark was my record store. That is and amazing. Yeah, when I was like, I was, I was buying vinyl. I mean, truth be told, I was buying it at like two or three years old. Like my parents would spoil me rotten and take me to the mall, and I'd buy Thriller, and I'd buy another copy of Thriller because I didn't realize there were other records to buy, <laughs> and I just knew I liked Thriller. <laughs> I had a few copies of Thriller, a few copies of Purple Rain, a few copies of. Uh, 1984 by Van Halen. You know, I was I was buying vinyl very very young. Yeah, you were built to be who you are now from the. And then, and my dad got a CD player because he worked in the industry, so he got one. I think straight from Japan when they were like early, early, like 84 or 85. And I remember buying like my first CD. My first CD was Expose's Exposure. In 1996, 1986, uh, and Def Leppard's Hysteria was my second CD. And, you know, that's pretty mind-blowing to, like, put on a CD and not hear record noise for the first time. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, that was pretty cool. So then I became this a CD kid. Here. And then, of course, infamously, for anybody who doesn't know, you you form a band in high school. That band would later transform after after a couple shows and member changes to the Ergs. The Ergs became obsessed with SST Records, infamously. Right. <laughs> um, you have many hilarious stories about visiting the SST offices and seeing Black Flag reunion shows. We can't get into them all today, but no, this is when I. No, I'd rather out. forget. I'd rather forget the <laughs> Black Flag reunion shows. Well, I want to say I think this is like. Let's talk. The, I, I, here's the big Jersey question I have for you. Right, because you are Mike Yerg, and to a lot of Jersey punk fans, that really means something. I, don't, yeah. I, I want to talk to you about how you how you feel about that, but specifically, I was thinking about this in the lead up to talking to you because you're my friend. So I got to ask you some interesting stuff. We mentioned before, okay, 
New Brunswick bounce. You remember like, yeah, people give us credit for kind of rebirthing the new basement scene, but the souls wasn't that long ago. Lifetime wasn't that long ago. People think of these bands as kind of on the same family tree as the Ergs, right? New Brunswick yeah. bands. And then I think I've read interviews where members of screaming females give the Ergs a lot of credit for inspiring them. And then I think right now there's still a lot of Jersey bands, New Brunswick bands and beyond probably is spread to Asbury Park. I mean, Ergs, I think the Ergs yeah, helped carry the Asbury Lanes. Asbury like, Lanes was our second home. Was just, you know, the whole Asbury scene and New Brunswick scenes, you are on your family tree now. And I think a lot of the bands now are probably looked up to females on the way. Yeah. And, and they were inspired. I've read Jarrett from females. I've read quotes that are like beautiful about how inspired he was watching the Ergs and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. A lot of people point to Mikey. People go Jersey punk. There's a lot of Jersey punks from those scenes who would go, Mikey is our guy to this day. And they mean it and they feel it. But here's something I was thinking about. You think about Jersey musicians, right? Bruce is always writing about Highway 9, <laughs> people out on the boardwalk, right? Bouncing Souls have a song called So Jersey. Right, right. Lifetime has Jersey's Best Dancers. That's their like iconic album. It has Turnpike Gates on it. It has scenes from a New Brunswick basement show. You had Jersey. The Ergs put out Jersey's Best yeah. Prancers, which is obviously like a loving, tongue-in-cheek Lifetime yeah. tribute. But I'm sitting here racking my brain. I don't think you, in your solo work or with the Ergs, have any songs that no. you don't have the Parkway Ballad. You don't have Saraville Summer. You don't have those songs. And yet... A lot of the people who are fans of this expensive family tree of bands, and I include myself among that, like, I love all those bands. There's a lot of people who know this world who would say, and it's, I'm not trying to make it a competition, but there's a lot of people who go, Mikey Erg, if, if I'm a Jersey punk of a certain age and inclination, like Mikey Erg is my guy as a Jersey punk. But you've written songs about Minneapolis and you've written yeah. songs about all other places and times. But why do you think you get so much Jersey love? And are through and through. I've always considered you a Jersey artist. You haven't lived in Jersey in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I still claim your spot. I still claim Jersey on like you claim you know, Jersey so uh, hard. On the, you get on the, the Jersey fest, love. Like, the, you get you know, maybe the, more. I think you probably get more Jersey love than some of the other bands we've named, and yet yeah. you've worn it the least on your sleeve in the actual body of work. Why do you think that true. is? True. I man, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I you know certainly proud. To be from Jersey, I love Jersey. Uh, I, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. A lot of my songs are like, uh, I, I'm, I'm rarely writing about what's going on at the time. And like, you know, it's usually something f from a, you know, from a different point of view or like a you know just thinking back to something that happened to me i don't know like on the road or whatever like so like i guess that's that might be an explanation why like i'm not writing about the turnpike <laughs> mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but i mean i certainly like will tell anybody who listen that i'm a proud central jersey person Central oh, but, and believe me, I've been set straight. I've been set straight. I've I've flown the white flag. Central Jersey's real. No less than Peter Genovese, who Mikey is the uh, the food writer for NJ and culture writer too. But I, I know him most iconically. A anytime you see a list that's like the best ninety eight pieces of uh, Sicilian pie in Jersey, <laughs> it's always Pete Genovese and Jeremy Sinatra. We've interviewed them both on the show, and Pete Genovese made it very clear to me. Central Jersey, he said, is Every county that starts with an M that's not Morris plus Somerset, Mer Somerset and Hunterdon, that was his definition of Central Jersey. So there I've abided go. by that when he sent me straight. It is Taylor Ham, though. Thank you. See, right? Central Jersey. It's, it's block by block, I feel. Like. <laughs> but I'll say yeah. this. I'll say I don't, this. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, I, I, you know, I, I definitely like. I always claim, you know, I mean, Jersey is my home. And so, and, and, and I, we were, and the Eric's were super proud to be like one of my, still my proudest, uh, moment, especially cause none of us had anything to do with it is we are listed on old bridge high school's, uh, Wikipedia page as notable alumni. Oh, that's the Ergs. what a victory. And I'm like, fucking yes, we are from old bridge. God damn it. What a victory. <laughs>
I dream. I wish I've often threatened. I used to threaten to do this as a Gethard show bit. I wanted to make a like full size bronze statue of myself and just place it in the middle of the night on the lawn at West Orange High. It'd be so heavy that it would take them a long time to remove it. So maybe oh, they just man. leave it there for a while. But now we can't afford it. I should have. I wonder what like the budget. They might have. They might be like, nah, no, he. This deserves to nah, be here. They don't even bring me back. They won't even let me come back to speak. They're scared. Oh, they, yeah. They, yeah, Okanadawan, who was in the cast of Hamilton, he came back to speak. He's like 10 years younger than me. Broke out 15 years later. They won't even have me back. They know Because they know I'll just try to start a class war immediately. They just know I'll start rambling about the rich kids and the downhill kids. Anyway, but Mikey, I'm serious. And again, I want to be clear. What I'm not trying to do is create comparisons for the sake of competition. I just find it very interesting. But I bet Lit, there are listeners out there who would agree who for people who really love music and love Jersey music. If you were walking down the boardwalk, if, let's say you're walking down the Asbury park boardwalk with Brian Fallon and Patrick mm-hmm. Stickles, two people mm-hmm. who have written songs that reference Jersey. Right. Um, right. Like Fallon, who's in all these videos with Bruce Stickles, right. You know, that, the, the, that one Titus album has like so many references to here's how we do the Jersey slide. And right, right, right. It's not a competition. I'm not saying that. And these might be bad. I feel that. And again, you and I have both talked about our careers and and how we've found these lanes. These might be bands that have sold out bigger rooms. But if you have those three people walking down the boardwalk, I got a feeling that a lot of the punk kids are going to go fucking A. That's Mikey Erg. And that is a very special place to occupy in in Jersey culture and lore. And I I really think that's true that that's crazy but uh let's i'll have to put that in motion i'll have to get <laughs> i'll have to get those two guys to walk down the boardwalk with me and see what happens <laughs> that what a funny video that would be right <laughs> let's the punk rock stripes let's get you who would it be it would be you three marissa yeah who are the other people of that vague generation right greg from bouncing souls can be in there ari from lifetime <laughs> yeah who else do we get to go on this weird walk down the jersey Boardwalk. Oh, that's a pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty that, that, that fucking covers it. I think we get you all to just kind of clandestinely hang out on the boardwalk and see who. You know what we do? We get you each to work at a different stand on the Asbury Park boardwalk, <laughs> and we and we don't make it a thing where you just walk, and we just see count who gets the most argue blanks. Uh, and I God bet, damn it! Can I we bet get you, the other show back on so we can make this uh, happen. This would be an amazing <laughs> if we had a budget to fund this nonsense. But we get Bouncing Souls, Greg. We get Ari from Lifetime, Marissa from Females. You, Fallon, Patrick. and Stickles, get those six people just working at different. You're selling Korean tacos. Marissa's yeah. selling ice cream. No, Marissa's painting faces. That's right. Uh, Stickles is selling ice cream cones. I just have a feeling, and we count the. I'm so sorry to bother you. Are you blank? I bet Mike Berg <laughs> is number one or two on that list because people in Jersey, you are their fucking guy, man. It is pretty funny. It, it doesn't happen all that often, but I do get, uh, you know, we call it recognized. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you're when you're uh, when you're recognized in other places that aren't a rock show, um, I went and saw the Dinosaur Junior movie the other day, and like someone just walked past me, was like, "I love your band," and then just walked away. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. "And we're, I'm wearing a mask." I'm like, "How do you even know who I was?" <laughs> love it, love <laughs> it. Crazy. That's the best version of that. That's the best version of that. You know what I think it is too? I think a lot of your songs in both your solo career and with the Ergs. While you may not be name dropping Route 35, right? You know, you might not be saying like, "Oh, and then you take the left after the evil clown in Middletown." You know, <laughs> like you might not be that explicit like some of the other Jersey artists. I think you've always had a lot of songs that so accurately capture the feeling of coming in second place, mm-hmm. of being on the outside looking in, of being right next to you know being one lunch table over from the cool kids table. Yeah, I think you've always been able to squeeze out a lyric of, you know, so many love songs about yeah, that, like, guy, I mean, that guy who couldn't afford the better haircut got the girl. <laughs> yep. And a I mean, lot they all, of that. They all, they all take place in Jersey. I mean, those certainly. are, and those are all also, you write about feelings that are universally yeah. understood by anyone who grows up this close to Philly in New York. Right. That feeling of like, I'm just never going to be able to foot. Like you have so many characters in your songs where the lead character is someone going, 
I wish that I knew how to fucking dress better and maybe then I right. could have gotten the girl. I wish that I knew how to fucking have a functioning conversation and not need to like stay in the shower all day because I'm scared and yeah, overwhelmed. Right. And when I think about it, as we talk about it, I go, I think you are able to write from a perspective emotionally that feels so true to being like this mixture of sort of like fucked up and not confident when you're young and pissed off enough to shout about it, but not enabled enough to know what to do about it. Right. I think so many of your songs with the ergs were that boiled down. And then yeah. I think so much of your solo career is about those types of characters growing up and getting older and, and feeling that. Yeah. Cause certainly all the, most of the solo stuff is like absolutely me putting me, me putting myself back in that place of like the middle schooler of the high school or the high schooler that like, doesn't know what the fuck he's doing and like you know i mean part of me still doesn't know what the fuck i'm doing even now but you know i uh you know i'm certainly not but like it's it's going back into that place but not being like i didn't get invited to the prom or whatever i'm not writing not rewriting queer songs i'm trying to like put when know. you say queer <laughs> songs you're not saying like lgbtq you're saying no, songs by I'm the pop punk band the queer. songs by that uh fronted by joe king aka the, joe queer the, the band that probably shouldn't have been named. <laughs> yes. The, yes. The, uh, the a name that has aged more poorly with each passing <laughs> year. And as their lead singer, like writes pro cop statements on Facebook. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Not the uh, best to be, to be clear. I'm going to see the dwarves next week. Not the queers. Got it. Got it. <laughs> this, Mikey, this somehow less offensive band of the two. I want to talk about, and you and I have talked about this so much and we have geeked out. We are the same age. There was, you know, we came up in a stretch where there were a lot of shows happening kind of right before, during, and especially after Green Day hit MTV. We were in high school when that happened. My older brother was taking me to shows when I was 13 years old. I feel like you were, you grew up around music. You were already seeking out shows and music around then. I want to talk about the Jersey scene that you grew up in as you began playing, maybe even before you were playing, I want to start name dropping some bands that you go, these are bands that are Jersey bands forgotten to time, but they fucking ripped when I used to see them. And here's the places I used to see them. Cause yep. you and I've had these conversations before. And I think people who listen to this show will just love to hear the, the depths of which you were a part of this Jersey scene and some of these bands you remember. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a. Uh... Yeah, it changed my life going to the Cheesequake, uh, the Cheesequake Firehouse, which I grew up. I could walk there in about fifteen minutes, um, and that was like, I mean, the Youth Ahead was doing all the shows there, and so the Youth Ahead, the Youth Ahead were the first punk band I ever saw live. Great band, great band. At at the, and they played at our high school. I, I was actually before I was in high school. I was in eighth grade. But I was in a band with a couple high school kids, and we played the Winter Carnival at Oldbridge High School. And Youth Ahead was like the last. I think they were the. I think they were the headliner, quote unquote. But uh, yeah, they were like the first band I saw live. Um, then just starting finding those finding those VFW Hall and Cheesequake Firehouse Hall shows. Just incredible. I mean, Catch Twenty Two, seeing early, early Catch Twenty Two shows. I've been thinking about this band a lot lately. Yeah, they were and, another and, band that was. I was in New Brunswick when they were a New Brunswick band, and then every time I think about that band, that fucking song, Dear Sergio, stays in my yeah. head all day, and it's about great. to happen again. It's a great song, but goddamn, do I want it out of my head? And it's funny. We uh, so Jeff, Jeff from the Ergs, and I, and his cousin Joe, who I was in high school with. Um, we had a band called visual purple in middle school and, uh, we would play club Benet with gimp, which was catch 22 before catch 22 was catch 22. And they were kind of like before a catch 22 was street yeah. manifesto. They were That's, before they, they were even were, catch 22. They were, gimp. they were a band called gimp and they played, uh, it was like green, gr you know, grunge. They would do like Nirvana covers and shit. It was cool. Uh, -huh. uh and and we were just doing like Sex Pistols and Rancid covers, um, but yeah, you know, Catch Twenty Two fucking. Uh, there was a man called Groundswell that was 
awesome. There was a band called 52 Pickup that was awesome. Then, of course, like Edna's Goldfish would play a lot of the shows. Inspector 7 would play a lot of the shows. Um, the Royalties, they were oh, a ska wow. band. Who I believe were previously known. I think their early name was the Ska Skank Redemption. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then they changed it to the royalties. I think it was the royalties that were originally known as the Ska Skank Redemption, one of the best Ska pun names. Ska Skank Redemption. Worst pun, Ska pun names. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think of what other bands. One Cool Guy. Oh, you're speaking my language. Uh, you know, we, then of course, there was the famous... Kid with <laughs> Manhead, we've brought up. Kid with Manhead. Kid with Manhead. Uh, your Mama Love Us. Oh, yeah. I haven't Remember thought that? about them in a long time. Uh, Mother Mania was See, a, was a huge one me. for me. I didn't know that. They were like, they were short, short. Actually, the first day only, not the first time, but the, not the only time, but the first time I saw them was opening for Real Big Fish at Maxwell's right, right after Turn the Radio Off came out. Uh, and then they would play the, they'd play the Cove. Now the Cove in Roselle, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever went there. Now the Cove, that Roselle, that was way too far South for us. No, yeah, it probably wasn't. Roselle wasn't. Just, <laughs> I missed it. That was just like, it was close enough where we just, I mean, they had so many all ages shows and they gave all of us dumb kids a place to play. Um, so that place was rad. I saw a bunch of cool bands. First time I ever saw Doc Hopper was at the Cove. Very nice. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what else, what other like kind of fun local bands were around. I feel like one of the local bands of that era that I've long said should have been bigger. And a lot of their peers either got bigger or got into bands that became bigger. There's a band called Boxcar. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Boxcar. was this dude named Derek. That band was great and should have gone farther. Yeah. I. It was kind of surprising that they weren't. Yeah. Um, that weren't that big, but yeah, them. Oh, I mean, Felix Frump, of course, that was like one of the, one of the, one of the early shows I saw was Felix Frump and they had, they were on, I think it was them that was on a comp compilation called go fuck your music reviews. And it was just this, like, you know, just two or three bands, two or three songs per band, but there were like 20 bands on it. And I found so many like great bands from that compilation uh, national, like, you know, stuff from Pittsburgh and stuff from Philly and stuff from like, mm-hmm. uh, mostly East coast stuff, but, um, one nature. Did you ever see one nature? I don't think I ever saw one nature. They headlined the first show I ever saw with Felix from and missing children, missing children. The, and the lead singer was Frank, who was later in Degenerix. So I, and I don't think that. I ever saw them either. I think I only know Frank from later on. I from, think missing children was only about very briefly. Um, but for, Degenerix was another New Brunswick band that was kind of in that interim between Lifetime and the Ergs, if I remember right. Yeah. 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 One of the torch bears. It, like, uh, it, so let's talk about that because that's a good transition. So New Bruns- the New Brunswick basement scene had never really died out, but that was the impression that there were a few down years. And then I remember mm-hmm. when I started here, I lived in the city and I remember, I forget who, but somebody was like, there's this band, the Ergs. You're going to love them. And I knew of you guys because you used to come play. There was a UCB performer named Dinah Mo, mm-hmm. And Dinah was very tapped in. Did a lot of the art for WoWo Records where you put out Dork Rock. Yep. Uh, the Unlovables. She, she created the Ergs logo. You, the, the Unlovables, who you were the drummer for, also on WoWo. And I'm now married to Hallie Unlovable. Um, was on, uh, so I knew the Ergs because you guys used to hang out at UCB through Dinah and play yeah. through that. And then I hadn't heard my... Joe, I met. I remember seeing Joe at UCB. He he changed my tire one night when it broke because he's an Eagle Scout, <laughs> and uh, he changed my tire in like forty seconds. It was it was mind boggling how quickly he changed the tire. And he gave me three guys twelve eyes. I was like, this is pretty good. Like this is for some kids. Like this dude who's just like palling around at UCB. Like it's pretty good. And then I remember hearing somebody's like, yo, you know, like the Ergs. That band, the Ergs, is like they're it in Jersey right now. Like they've, they've <laughs> done it. And I was like, Oh, that's crazy. And I went out and bought dork rock and I bought crush boyfriend heartbreak by the unlovables on the same day. You, you are obviously on the Yerg's record and cr- you're yeah. the drummer on crush. So very big Mikey Erg day for me. And I remember listening and being blown away by both records started following it. Now the dialogue is that the Ergs were so relentlessly out on the road and that you'd constantly go and pick up shows 
and the now tell me how much of this is the story versus the reality the the funny version of it is that you guys would <laughs> constantly get shows and tell people like oh yeah and then we'll hook you up with a show in new brunswick when you want to pass through new brunswick and this led to the ergs kind of having to play new brunswick like sometimes twice a week just because bands would I take mean, you up on it. I feel like I remember it being like three or four times a week, like to the point where people stopped coming to see us. But it built because a legend for sure. It did. I mean, it I, it was certainly like exhausting. And and that's I, like, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm almost positive that the reason I sat up and wrote the Hamilton songs one night because a band... Wow, now this is huge that you're even admitting this publicly. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean... The Hamilton songs were written by the members of the Hamiltons. Yeah, but you know, but you know, I, I'm a ghostwriter. I'm a ghostwriter. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, but I think we like uh, we had a, a bunch of friends coming through that we knew were Dirty Work fans too, and we were like, we can't play as the Ergs. Like, we just like no one's gonna come anyway, so we might as well just like play as a different band so that we aren't just it's not yet another erg show this week or whatever. And so we, we wrote like <laughs> we wrote the Hamilton songs in like a couple of days and played as the Hamiltons. So we were so like, you try, to, we you were trying to, to think of other bands to play as so that we were, you had to invent another Ergs. fake alter <laughs> ego band to keep people interested. Yeah. Or, or at least to like make it feel like it wasn't just another erg show. Maybe people would be fooled into coming to this show thinking that it wasn't an erg show because <laughs> I, I remember like when i got to Rutgers, the year i got there just before i arrived there was a house called 67 handy street and that was a legendary show house i believe run by members of lifetime and ensign mm. ensign who i think you also later played in ensign for a while i did right? a couple tours with ensign yeah and uh they they were like the big hardcore band that played all over jersey back in that day but that house shut down and there were house shows after that, but I missed the boat. And then it felt like the Ergs led this resurgence of, well, we'll go play Baltimore. And then whoever got us that show, we'll do a New Brunswick show for, with them. We'll go yeah. do Pittsburgh. And then when the Pittsburgh band comes through, we'll do a New Brunswick show. Yeah. And we were touring kind of relentlessly. I mean, not relentlessly, but we were doing like, you know, we would do at least one or two full U.S. tours a year whenever we could fit one in. And whenever we weren't doing that, we do down the East coast or out through the Midwest. The Midwest was always incredible for us. So yeah, we were always meeting new bands and, and being like, yeah, yeah. Well, new Brunswick's popping right now. We'll, we'll, we'll fucking hook you up. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And then and, we had to do it. <laughs> then and then we had, had to, to do it through. Which you know, which we wanted to do it, but then we were, we were, I remember seeing the effects of like, Oh my God. Like, whereas the parlor used to be, you couldn't get another body in this place. Now there's only like 30 or 40 people showing up every night because we're always going to be around, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, which is, you know, which is the way it goes. And like, but yeah, we, we definitely were playing a little too much at that point. Now I had heard this. So I started hearing, okay, this Ergs record, it's blowing, it's like blowing people's mind. I went and got it. I was like, holy shit. And all the songs looked together, all these triptychs on it and stuff. And then I'm hearing, okay, and they're making New Brunswick like a force nationally. Like national bands are starting to come through New Brunswick because they know the Ergs are like, are like going to play with them and help them out. And then I remember, I'll never forget, you guys played The Knitting Factory when it was still in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I think it maybe was a daytime show. And I had heard about it and I grabbed the ticket. And I went and I was like, I like those guys. And I remember hanging out with Joe back in the day and I'll go check it out. I feel like half the Jersey Shore and all of New Brunswick showed up because <laughs> there was this feeling around you guys of, it was very clear that the whole New Jersey punk scene was like, these are our fucking dudes and we are going to go represent in the city to make sure this show is epic. Oh, and it was. It and was never, epic. Dude, I'll never forget a moment that I still laugh when I think about. Because this was years after I graduated Rutgers in 02. And Fid was older than me in New at Rutgers. I knew Fid back then yeah. casually um, through the scene and whatnot. But I wasn't so immersed in the scene. I was a quiet guy in that context. But I'll never forget. You guys start your first song. And it's like, when I say people hanging off the walls and climbing <laughs> equipment... <laughs> 
in the first month, I'm like, oh, these are just fucking Jersey punks trying to scare the shit out of all the city people who are here, <laughs> literally hanging from shit, swinging around. And then I, I saw Fid appear on stage and launch himself into the sky. Yeah. And I was like, that fucking dude is still around. And then it became clear to me that just everyone knows Fid. And it was Our clear that the Ergs had crazy. turned into something. Like, yes, the even, like not even... Not even just like that. Like that, that was the the craziest thing. We 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 did a we did this tour with MC Chris, which was like it was amazing that he took us out and everything. But it was definitely not our crowd, not our not our vibe at all. Um, because we were still. I mean, Dork Rock was out, but we were still kind of like just. Yeah, we always were like a lot thrashier on live than we were on record, and you know we just played so fast and just. A lot of people couldn't make heads or t- heads or tails of us, especially if you had not been exposed to much punk rock, which a lot of the MC Chris fans, I feel like, weren't. They were a lot of like people that you know just watched Adult Swim cartoons and stuff. Um, so we were kind of on this weird tour where we were being pretty, like uh, you know, it, it was just it was what it was. Sh- it was straight up indifference, though. Like yeah. yeah for the first band because we weren't the second band was like a band that would be like everybody clap here you know like they had a lot of like audience participation stuff and we were not that band we were that band that was just like hi we're the urge thanks and that's it like that's that was our thing we did not engage with the audience at all felt really weird um in the middle of the tour we took two days off of the tour because we got invited to play fest and so we flew from fest flew from phoenix arizona to fest and then flew back to phoenix and drove to texas to pick up the rest of the tour and the show at fest like it was one of those things where we were like let's see how this goes fuck it like and i remember putting my kick drum pedal on my kick drum and then looking up and there was all of a sudden like 500 people in the room i was like oh this is weird and then the minute we started it it looked like minor threat at Buff Hall or whatever, like yes. those like yes. old minor threat bootleg bootleg videos you saw, where like people were like climbing on the ceiling and jumping, shouting off every word. Ch- yeah, it was in fucking sane, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And like every show we played, kind of after that was was that like, I you know I hesitate to call it violent, but it was like it was like a, like a a lovable violence or I, something. Like, I, 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 don't, I wanted I don't to ask you because that's the sense. Like at that knitting factory show, I was like, these are all Jersey people. I know my own, and there is you just nailed it. Like you're singing songs, and I love the or you know this, you know yeah. this. Like I am a fan of yours and a friend of yours. We we know this. But like you're singing songs that have lyrics like, I'll write you the perfect song. Maybe you can sing along. And the crowd, these Jersey kids are behaving more like like DMS at a hardcore right. matinee in the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. It, it was, was awesome. Like, like it honestly had the vibe of like someone's going to fucking fling a 40 bottle across the room and the pit people are going to go down and you got to pray somebody picks them up in time. And then you're up there what? You know, singing songs that are like very sweet pop punk loves like yeah. your songs kind of sound like a cross between the descendants but like there's like some mtx sentimentality yeah, in the love absolutely. songs and lyrics and meanwhile you got guys like jay insult who's like three <laughs> sheets to the wind fucking throwing <laughs> swinging well, his elbows around you know a, a funny story that is is kind of like that you know kind of remind that that reminds me of is we we played this thing called best friends day in richmond that was like a cool like three day long outdoor fest that just happened in a bunch of different places in richmond uh tony from municipal waste used to do it and i i didn't know anything about it at the time we drove we get up there we had, in fact we actually had like it was the last day of the tour we had so much we we been driving down we were driving around richmond for like an hour trying to find this place couldn't find it we were almost we're like dude it's like three in the afternoon we can make it we can make it home by 10 if we just leave right now. Like, fuck it. We're exhausted. And then we just see a bike punk. We're like, let's find him. Let's follow him and see if he's going to this, whatever the show is. We get to the show. We like, all, there's like a wrestling ring and just like a bunch of like crusty punks. <laughs> and we're like, this must be it, I guess. And Tony like 
burst out of the fucking gate and he was like, Oh my God, you guys made it. Holy shit. Cool. And so like we we're playing, we're, we're setting up at the show and it's, it's mostly crust punks like Richmond crust punks. And we were just like, all right, well, it's been nice knowing you guys. Cause we're, <laughs> we're about to get eaten alive here. And they fucking went at harder than anybody, even in Jersey at that point. Like, you know, it was just like, People, they went fucking ape shit for us and singing along to every word. And we were just like, how is this possible? Like, I'm writing, like, <laughs> if I could make you smile, like, you know, <laughs> like, I'm just writing all these stupid love song lyrics. And, like, people are acting like it's, like, <laughs> fucking some like, you know, master of puppets or something. <laughs> I mean, they're acting like it's, like, Black Flag playing in a yeah. church. Like, it's really, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was wild it was to witness. It's it was wild so to fun. And like, it's kind of crazy to keep to have done, you know, a couple of reunion shows or whatever. And like, it still gets kind of pretty fucking nuts. Like when, like when we play the church in Philly, it's like still pretty fucking yeah. rambunctious. And I don't want to keep you all day, but I, I, I do want to just ask, like, you have written stuff that struck a card chord hard with a whole generation of, of Jersey punk kids. We've talked about, Asbury Park was your second home in that really, really beautiful era. And Asbury Park today is amazing. Yeah. But there was a stretch there where it was clear, like, okay, like Asbury Park, Asbury Park really was, there was so much abandoned stuff. There was yeah. nothing on the boardwalk except that Howard Johnson's. You'd go to shows at the Pony or at the convention center once in a while. And like being from North Jersey, like we'd go see shows there. We'd go see ECW wrestling at the convention center. And it was like, all right, the show's over. Everybody stick together and let's get back to the car. You might see yeah. something fucked up on the way. There was this window where things had, it was clear. Wow. They've actually managed to get this town right back on the, on the, on the right track where some of this corruption is going to go away. And some of these buildings are actually going to complete it. And businesses are going to get to open. And now that has kind of happened. Yeah. But you were, the ergs were right there in that window of like, Hey, it's happening. And yeah. it's safer, but it's a few years away from being <laughs> finalized and locked in and blown out. And you still get to kind of do whatever you want in this town, but it's not as intimidating as it was. You had that golden era, New Brunswick, yeah. where you guys really did. You were like this at the very least, maybe the idea that the Ergs brought New Brunswick basement scene back to life is a little overblown, but at the very least you were a major adrenaline shot in the arm of it. Right. We were that B12 shot. You were. You you really were. You were the uh that plate that platement rich uh plasma <laughs> replacement therapy that got it got it feeling good again. What's your, you know, these these eras that people really already look back on, even though they were just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they go, Man, I wish I was in New Brunswick in the early to mid 2000s. Man, I wish I was in Asbury Park, like 2006, seven, eight, nine. So You've been part of these like legendary waves of Jersey music, Jersey punk. What's your relationship with Jersey like today? Uh, man, I, I don't, yeah, I don't visit as much as I should. Uh, it's, it's a long way from Queens, which is my, my current, uh, home. So, uh, but I love when, whenever I go down and I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see a show at the pony whenever I can, I'll go down to like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm usually in New Brunswick are, you know, I, I play a lot with, with Fid and Chris Pierce and we end up doing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff in, in New Brunswick. So I, I, I visit from time to time, but certainly not as much as I should. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy to think about like all these times that I was, was there for. And at the time it just felt fun. Like I didn't really know I was like part of like this weird last gasp of the old Asbury or last gasp of the, uh, you know, or like, you know, the current gasp of the, of the uh, New Brunswick resurgence or whatever, you know, it just kind of felt cool to be around these places that seemed like they were happening. Like it felt like when I was, when I was up in, in New York with the, with the, w w when, when Durbagani was, was, really popping and like i was like man there's we're, we're going to these shows that like hundreds of people are going to that's pretty fucking cool well mikey it's always a joy to talk to you we're lucky to have you i maintain <laughs> that you would get picked out on the boardwalk as much as anybody from from that whole family tree 
We're going to make this happen. Oh, please. Someday. I mean, no one, I think you, I think I might be the only person who cares, but I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, it's always such a joy to catch up and to yeah, hear absolutely. about what it was like to be at the center of this stuff. And again, most of all, for anybody out there who loves our Jersey people, Mikey is one of our guys through and through and love it. Leeds is out there. Buy it on vinyl. Yes. Buy it on vinyl. That's the Get way to it hear it. There. Oh, at the very least, listen to it on that weird music <laughs> nerd streaming service he plugs. Kobuz. Mikey or ladies and gents. Q-O-B-U-Z. Oh, God. That's In so high resolution. Remember. In high resolution <laughs> audio. All right. Beautiful. Thanks, Mikey. Cool. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Cobb, and Mike D. New Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Cobb, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World, where New Jersey is the World.